All right. Well, brothers and sisters, today's scripture comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. We're going to read in the NIV, uh, which we encourage you to open up to. Uh, You can find it in your pew Bibles. The story of God hardcover Bibles are NIVs, or you can look it up in a Bible app or something similar. Uh, And we're going to read this as a responsive reading, an alternate reading, where I'll begin with the first verse. We'll all respond together in unison uh, with the verse after that, and we'll go back and forth until the end. It's only four verses today. We ask that you stand as able once you're ready to read the scripture. And again, it's Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 20 in the NIV. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right, brothers and sisters, we're continuing in our sermon series, Everything Changes. And as part of this sermon series, uh, Metanoia, Everything Changes, we have been pondering why we aren't changing more. And I want to uh, uh, propose that part of the reason why we're not changing more is because of bad theology. I like talking about bad theology. It's kind of fun. (laughs) And bad theology, I think, uh, sometimes is kind of hard to detect. Some bad theology is just really bad, and you can just see it a mile mile away. But some bad theology is kind of like slightly spoiled milk. You know, like the milk that, like, it's like the day of, the expiration date. And, you know, if you're eating it with other things, maybe you're dipping your Oreos into milk, as I like to do. It's delicious. You know, maybe you're eating it with something else, and you didn't notice that there was something a little bit off about that milk. If you drank it by yourself, uh, by itself, and you were paying attention, you would notice that the milk tasted a, a little bit sour. You know, if you smelled it very closely, you took a nice, deep whiff. You'd be like, oh, oh, wait, oh, what's that? There's something slightly off. Right, And I want to give you an example of bad theology. And this is, I found this on Amazon. This is a common thing. If you've heard me talk about this before, maybe you would think I'm making this up or I'm overly reducing people's arguments. But this is an actual thing on Amazon that you can buy uh, right now. I looked this up this morning at 9.50, right? This, this is a uh, plastic license plate uh, cover that says Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. If you hurry, you can get free delivery by Tuesday. There's only four left in stock. Order soon. And apparently it will be delivered to my wife <laughs> at our house, right? Brothers and sisters, uh, I have so many questions about this. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And you see a lot of these. This isn't the only one on Amazon, right? And a lot of them are bumper stickers, or license plate covers. And so one of my questions is, why do we want to put it on our car? Why is that so important to us? 
You know, uh, I think that maybe Christians aren't perfect, perfect, just forgiven. Maybe the reason why this is kind of, you know, quote unquote, bad theology is it kind of sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? Do you ever heard someone use the excuse, well, no one's perfect, right? Like someone makes a mistake, you know, I don't know. They ram you with their car, for instance, right? And instead of saying, I'm sorry, my bad, I should have been paying attention, I won't do it again. They say, well, no one's perfect, right? You know, maybe they say it in a cutesy voice, no one's perfect, you know? What would you make of that? Doesn't it sound like an excuse? You know, you're basically saying like, hey, you know what? Stuff happens, right? Everyone makes mistakes, right? Hey, don't cast the first stone, right? We all make mistakes. I'm going to be imperfect forever, right? So you should just expect that stuff is going to happen. Instead of saying, hey, you know what? That wasn't right what I did. I should change my behavior, right? And so, you know, (laughs) I wonder if this is the Christian version of no one's perfect, you know, and maybe it's on the license plate to give you sort of license, right? That it is an excuse to make mistakes. You know, you cut someone off and you're like, ah, how dare you cut me off? You know, they've got the, the fish sticker on their bumper too. They've got like a cross on there and people are like, oh, Christians. And then you see the other bumper sticker. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, right? And you're like, oh, okay. Brothers and sisters, uh, uh, my other question to you is, why would this cover the entire license plate, right? Is this a way of like, you know, well, if I commit a crime, I'm going to use this to cover my actual license plate so that you can't track me down and you just hope you get a Christian cop. It's like, oh, wait, I don't know who committed that crime, but you know what? They're a Christian. They're not perfect. They're forgiven, right? And to be honest, My main issue with this bad theology, with a lot of bad theology, you will notice that it's not that it's not biblical. Often a lot of bad theology that is kind of like the the slightly spoiled milk, it is biblical, right? Do you guys remember when Jesus was tempted in the desert? If you've been a part of the the congregation this this school year, we preached on it uh, just a few weeks ago. And if you remember, Satan uses scripture, right? Oftentimes, bad theology involves scripture. It's not that it's not biblical. It's that it's not completely biblical, right? It's that you take a Bible verse and you take it out of context, or you take a Bible verse and you blow it up out of proportion and you ignore all the other scripture verses, right? It's not a well-rounded picture, of scripture. And so the idea that Christians aren't perfect, well, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of common sense. No one is perfect. That is true. But my, and we are forgiven, right? So I agree with those, most of it, right? With uh, what, what is that? Five words? Four out of five words, I'm in complete agreement. The one word I am not in agreement with is just. Just forgiven, right? As if to say that the best you can hope for as a Christian, the only change you can hope for is just being forgiven, right? And maybe, brothers and sisters, this bad theology that is very, very common in the church is the reason why Christians don't look any different than anyone else. Maybe it's one of the reasons. 
We've made excuses. We have no expectation of changing, right? We're like, yeah, everyone makes mistakes. No one is perfect, but we're forgiven, right? That's what makes us a Christian. I mean, come on, Pastor Steve. Do you really expect Christians to actually love, to actually forgive your enemies? That's hard, right? I mean, some people, they just really tick you off. Some people don't deserve to be forgiven, I mean, come on, do you really expect us to, you know, be saints, to be holy? Well, brothers and sisters, it's not me who expects that. It's actually God, right? That there is an expectation. Of course, Jesus knows, God knows all things, that you may try and not be perfect. But saying just forgiven, it seems as if we are completely giving up. It's like an either-or situation. Black or white, all or nothing. It's like saying, like, you know, you're on a test and you make one mistake and you're like, ah, see, I can't have a perfect test anymore. And so you just don't get anything right, right? You just turn in a blank exam. Is that the same as getting one question wrong? Of course not. Is it like, you know, either 100% or 0%? Of course not. Is a 99% the same as 0%? Of course not, right? And so, yes, we may not be perfect on this side of heaven. I'll grant you that. But can we improve? Can we actually change? I believe we can. I 100% believe we can. And I believe that Jesus does too. And so let's take a look. Uh, and I think a lot of this bad theology comes from our understanding of the law. What do you do with the first, you know, roughly 80% of your Bible, right? The New Testament only represents a small sliver of the Bible. The rest of it is the Old Testament, right? It, it's, it's the stuff that would have been the Hebrew Bible. Their Bible is roughly the same as the Old Testament. And there's a lot of stuff in there, and there's a good portion of it. It is the law. Uh, I mentioned this before, but when Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, so when he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, that um, they didn't call, as you would imagine, uh, the Jewish people did not call the Old Testament the Old Testament, right? They refer to it as, anyone know? It's called the Ketuvim. It means... The law and the prophets. That's what it means, right? And so this is what he's saying. Do not think that I have come to abolish the Old Testament. And this is one of the problems that we have, is that that's exactly what we do. But Jesus says, I have not come to do that. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, this is where um, a lot of the theology diverges is what does he mean by fulfill? Your answer to this will determine how you as a Christian deal with the Old Testament going forward, right? Depending on what you think fulfill means, right? This will determine everything about your theology, pretty much about the Old Testament. So brothers and sisters, we are going to, over the course of this sermon, we are going to look at a lot of scripture. And so I want to really encourage you to stick with me because maybe some of you have been wondering, you're like, man, some of that Old Testament stuff, there's so many laws. Which ones do you follow and which ones do you not? Because there's some that we clearly don't follow, right? 
Anyone eat a cheeseburger in the last week? Anyone have any crab or seafood ever? <laughs> that stuff is, forgiven, is actually forbidden by the Old Testament. Has anyone had a cloth that is of mixed fibers? Maybe, you know, you got a little polyester in there. You got a little cotton. You got a little silk. That is what the Old Testament would call an abomination. Mixing fibers, how dare you, right? How many of you are following that? Let's be honest, right? And there are many of us that will pick and choose uh, the verses that we like, right? That suit our purposes. I had this one mom uh, in in youth group when I was a youth pastor in Maryland uh, who pointed out this Old Testament law. And she pointed it to her very vehemently because there were some kids, some senior high school kids who were starting to get tattoos, in the ministry. And, um, you know, they're, they're like 18 years old. You know, some of them were, were high school seniors. Some of them were, were um, you know, in college. And they were getting tattoos. But a lot of their tattoos were of scripture. You know, they get like crosses or like scripture verses, you know. And this one mom was so mad. She was pointing to this, this passage in Leviticus. She's like, see, Pastor Steve, you need to tell them to stop. You need to tell them. It's against the law, right? It's against God's law to get a tattoo, Right? And maybe you've had a parent that's pointed this out to you. Right? And what the scripture is, is it says that you shall not mark your flesh, mark your flesh as the pagans do. And what this verse is in reference to is about people who would mark their flesh as a ritual. They would cut themselves in worship of Baal. Right? This was not talking about getting a cross tattooed on your forearm. That's not what it was talking about. It was talking about a ritualistic, you know, tattoo to worship a foreign god, right? So even if you don't agree with the context that I'm giving you, if you're like, no, 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 Pastor Steve, we can't mark our flesh at all. I mean, the question is, well, what about the other stuff? That clearly a lot of us do break those laws. Why is it that that mom chose to pay attention to that one. She's not like, Pastor Steve, we need to stop eating cheeseburgers. Mixed fabrics, no, no. But she's like, I don't want my kid to get a tattoo. And so what I told her in a very loving way is if you don't want to get your kid to get a tattoo, tell your kid not to get a tattoo. Don't use scripture to to justify that, right? There may be many, many reasons why you don't want them to get a tattoo. Just don't bring the law into it to justify it if you're not willing to obey it all. Right? Because many of us are not. But look at this. He says, I have not come to abolish the law. What do we do with this? And then he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. And that word for dots uh, is, is uh, a word that means like the smallest mark you can possibly make. Right? Like, it's kind of referring to, in the, the Hebrew uh, language, um, there, there were these little apostrophes. It was just a tiny dot of your pen, just boop. And that's what Jesus is saying. Not even the smallest apostrophe will disappear. The last, the, the, the smallest mark of the law, it must all stay there. It will, um, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, this is the point where a lot of, a lot, a lot of New Testament scholars, a lot of evangelical Christians will point this out and say, but remember, 
It says, until all is accomplished. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and he says those words, it is finished. It is accomplished. That's what it means. It is paid in full. It's done, right? Until all is accomplished. Well, hey, this is so convenient. Jesus accomplished it on the cross. Before you even finish Matthew, it will be accomplished. And now you don't have to follow the law. Now, that's a very interesting uh, take. And that would be very, very convenient. But a couple things I want to point out. The word here is not all is accomplished. I have some suspicions that the reason why they chose to to interpret it, this is not a literal translation of this word. Uh, The word here is genetai. The word for it is accomplished, and it gets used a lot in scripture, is tetelestai. It is finished. Genetai, what does it kind of sound like? Like generate, genesis, right? It means come to pass. That's what it means. In every context that genetai is used in scripture, it never means accomplish. It never does. It just means something happened, right? So it could be that, that this is talking about Jesus dying on the cross and accomplishing everything. However, there is a better context for it that's given in the very same verse. All things coming to pass. And what is all things? He's not like all things in my life. He just says all things, right? And the context is until heaven and earth pass away. E. That's a little harder to dismiss that, right? Again, we're going to still have to deal with that word fulfill, and we will. But let's take a look at uh, the, the last part of it. And it doesn't get any easier for us, you know, New Testament Christians, to dismiss the law out of hand. Right? He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is another problem because kingdom of heaven language for Jesus, that is his main metaphor, isn't it? There, I know some people, um, I know many, many, well, not many, but there are some uh, New Testament teachers, some pastors who will teach you that the Sermon on the Mount is Old Covenant because they don't like this verse. They're like, oh, that can't be right. But the language that Jesus is using is his main metaphor, his main message, the kingdom of heaven. You cannot just dismiss this and say, oh, Jesus is just talking to Jews. This is Old Covenant. You know, and once he dies on the cross, then you can just ignore the entire Sermon on the Mount. I'm sorry. You can't do that if you want to take seriously the kingdom of the heavens, right? Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember our scribes and Pharisees? They're the ones who are trying to fulfill the law. And by the way, um, All the things that I've read is that at this time, um, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had gotten so sophisticated in their understanding of the law. If there was ever a time that people were following the law just so faithfully, it would have been this time, right? This is the best they've ever been. This is the best and brightest of law followers. And Jesus says, "Mm, it's not enough. We have to go further. Not take away, but go further. This is your hint and clue, I think, as to what Jesus means by full fill. 
What does the word full, fill mean? It says it twice, filling, not empty. Many people think when Jesus came to fulfill the law, it means to empty it. Ah, we don't have to do that anymore. Ah, We're not Jewish, right? No, he came to fill it fully, right? It's not less. It's actually more. Now, some of you might start getting a little panic. You're like, oh my gosh, does this mean we have to be super Jews? You know, does this mean we have to fulfill the law in this incredibly legalistic way? No, 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 no. Jesus is not talking about legalism. In fact, I just want to give you a little clue as to where all of this is going. Remember when he talks about the law and the prophets. He sums it up. He says, all of the law and the prophets... Are, can be brought under the umbrella of two commandments. If you do these fully, you fulfilled the law. It's the fullness of the law. Loving the Lord your God, what is it, brothers and sisters? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second one is just like it. Doing what? Love your neighbor as if they were you. We, we kind of have lost what that means. And so I, I kind of changed, paraphrased a little bit. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as if they were you. That's the law. That's the totality of the law. And Jesus is saying, you must, you must. This is what I came here to do. This is the second part of the mission statement. Remember the first part of the mission statement? Last week, what is all of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus' great moral teaching is all about these two things. We need to be the salt and light of the earth, right? We need to shine our good deeds so that people can give praise to God, right? We are supposed to be different than the rest of the world. How are you going to be different if you are completely following the spirit of the law? And I do mean the spirit, not the letter but the fullness of the law, everything encapsulated in that, right? And so, brothers and sisters, I want to show you a little bit more of this. And so, please stick with me. We're going to go through a couple scriptures. And so, you can just write down the scripture, look it up later, look at it in its fullness. We're not going to have time to do it in its fullness. But I want to show you that I'm not just picking and choosing. I'm not just, you know, taking random scriptures. I'm not just telling you what I want to hear or what I want you to hear. I want to show you that other teachers in the Bible, like Paul, teach the same thing. Okay, so let's take a look at, um, this is Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. I thought this was funny. The end is near at the end of the toilet paper roll. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, that seems very drastic. Remember what we just said, right? About Jesus saying that the law will not pass until heaven and earth pass away, basically. Until all is accomplished. But this is what uh, Paul says. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So it is the end of the law, but for a very specific purpose. It cannot make you righteous anymore. It cannot justify you. This is the same word. Right? So this idea of getting entrance into heaven, or Jesus looking at you, God looking at you and saying, ah, you're all right. You're one of my people. You're a Christian. You're saved. Whatever language you want to use, the law cannot do that for you anymore. 
That's what this means. It's the end of the law for righteousness. And I want to point this out more and go into detail with Hebrews 10. We're not going to read the whole thing, but Hebrews 10, it is worth it for you to study this on your own. Maybe in your small group, maybe like seriously, it is a very rich passage, but we don't have time to do the whole thing. But I want to give you enough of a taste that you can understand what this means. The the law has ended in terms of its purpose for righteousness. And so this is what the, the author of Hebrews, who we're not quite sure who the author of Hebrews is. It might be Paul, but we're not quite sure. It says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never be the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Now, brothers and sisters, um, what does it say? It's a shadow of the good things. It's an outline of the good things. It is not the what? The fullness. It's not the fullness. There's that word again. Fulfill. The law, brothers and sisters, is bare bones. It is not full. And this is the problem of it. It's a shadow of what Jesus was trying to bring about. So it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. So brothers and sisters, for the Israelites, they put everything on the law. And the law was this idea that you were supposed to obey these practices. But in the law were also prescriptions for when you disobey. right? And within the law, and the author of Hebrews points this out, that if there was any hope of following these, there wouldn't have been a need for any sacrifices. Right? Because basically, you know, the author of Hebrews would, would have been like, okay, you just need to try harder. But the author, or, I'm sorry, the, the author of the law, the God in bringing us the law, you know, wouldn't have put in these prescriptions for when you mess up. He's like, okay, I know you're going to mess up. So you got to do all these kinds of sacrifices. And you got to do them year after year after year. God knew you weren't going to be able to do it. This is temporary in some ways. It is a shadow and is meant to be filled at a later time. Right? So this is insufficient. It's not enough to make us, the word perfect here is the same root word for tetelestai, Jesus on the cross. It is finished. It is not enough. It doesn't mean perfect as in you never make a mistake. Complete. Right? As in that you do one offering and you're like, I never have to do an offering again. I'm good with God. Right? That hasn't come until what? Until Jesus came. You needed a perfect offering. But right now we have imperfect offerings. So let's continue. It says, and and this we are going to see what is the purpose then of Jesus fulfilling the law. What is the fullness of it? He says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices, in offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings... These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. So what is uh, the author of Hebrews saying by quoting scripture here? He's saying that the law is not enough to please God. I know that sounds weird. The law is there to mitigate your sin. When you mess up, when you make these mistakes, it is there to bring you back into a temporary right relationship with God. But it's not like God looks at you and is like, oh, hmm. You gave an offering. Thanks for sacrificing the bull. You're good forever. We're good now. It doesn't last. 
right? Your righteousness will not last based on that. Because what's going to happen? You're going to make another mistake. It's not going to be enough to transform you, right? And so therefore, there is another layer to this that we're told. We're told that then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. There's a deeper level. Jesus is actually doing the will of God. And just by following the law, you can't do that. And so he says, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. So what is the fullness of the law? To actually do the things that God wants you to. That's the purpose of the law. For you, in other words, to be like Jesus. Does that make sense? Now, let's just take the law. Is the law enough to make you like Jesus? No. You know why? Because the law is about punishment, right? The law is like, I messed up. God is going to kill me, or God is not going to let me into heaven, right? I'm not good with God. Oh, I feel so dirty. I feel so bad, right? So I need to do these sacrifices to be right with God again. And so the purpose is to avoid punishment. The purpose is not actually to please God, to do God's will, to be like Jesus. And so the law is is flawed in that sense. It is limited, right? And so he says, and by that we will have, uh, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So brothers and sisters, we have to get rid of the first one before we get the second one. The first one is fulfilling the sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings to take away sin. And that is what Jesus does on the cross. That never has to be done again, right? Let's further use that point. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. That's what we just said, right? You do it, and it sort of mitigates that relationship, but you're going to have to do it again. It does not take away your sin. It does not give you a right relationship with God. The only thing that can do that, that can perfect this system, complete this system, is the blood of Jesus. It is the only thing that can satisfy. It is the only perfect sacrifice. So when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. You sit down when you're done. You know, he's like, he drops the mic. That probably would be the modern translation, right? He drops the mic. He's like, I'm finished. It's done, right? Tetelestai, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a, a single offering, he has perfected, completed, fulfilled for all time those who are being sanctified. So the righteous requirement now is completely fulfilled by Jesus. So why is uh, uh, Jesus talking about all these things that we should do? He's not talking about these things that we should do because we are trying to get into heaven, Right? You already have entrance to heaven, brothers and sisters. You already have forgiveness for your sins. You already can become a child of God simply because of what Jesus did for you. But this is what you cannot do. I mean, don't believe me. Look at the scripture, guys. You cannot completely do the will of God yet. Yet. You, you, you have the ability to do it, But right now, that first moment when I believe in Jesus, right? You believe in Jesus. 
Are you able to completely, fully be like Jesus? I mean, you have the capability in some ways. You have the potential, in other words. But right then and there, you probably have some bad habits, right? You probably have some unforgiveness, right? There's all kinds of things that you have ingested from your, your environment, right? You have all kinds of bad habits of anger and lust and envy, right? You have all kinds of unforgiveness, And so in that moment, you are forgiven of your sins. Your sins will not separate you from God forever. But in that moment, you are not exactly in your actions, in your intent, like Jesus. Does that make sense? So this is what God wants for you. The fulfillment of the law is not just to fulfill the righteous requirements, but for you to actually live it in your body like Jesus did. That's the fulfillment of the law. Does that make sense? I know this might have been a little confusing, but brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this, okay? Now, this is the problem for a lot of us, is that we have heard all of this before. And, and, and you know, what, what I said in the first half is not controversial. Most uh, Christian evangelicals believe that, right? Jesus died for your sins for all time. Right? I have not been to many Christian churches. I don't, I've never been to a single one that sacrifices doves on an altar. Have you? Right? We all believe that Jesus gave the perfect sacrifice, right? But what that sacrifice is actually about and what the purpose of the law is now, this is where there is some dispute, right? And so some people, they take, uh, the, the passages that we're talking about being perfect as, okay, now you're exactly like Jesus. Your status is like Jesus, but your behavior is not. Your beliefs are not. Your nervous system is not like Jesus. How do I know this? Because you go out and you still sin, right? It's just evident. So you have been perfected in terms of the requirements of the law. But even the author of Hebrews warns us. There's a warning that comes later. Um, And by the way, oh yeah, so it, it talks further about what the law is supposed to do now. And the law is supposed to, so the Holy Spirit bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, after Jesus has come, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. In the Christian tradition, we have two sort of moments, two processes that we talk about for salvation. And for evangelical Christians, we've kind of lost the second one. The first one is justification, right? That means the forgiveness of your sins. You know, being seen righteous like God sees Jesus. Oh, you're my son. I forgive you no matter what. That unconditional sin. But there is a second moment that's talking about here is the writing of the laws on your heart. Now you are going to start actually living like Jesus. You're going to start becoming more like Jesus. You are going to start becoming holy. And what people, uh, uh, theologians throughout the centuries have called this is sanctification, right? There's that process of becoming more like Jesus, But for many, many reasons that are just too much to get into right now, a lot of churches have lost this. All you hear is justification, right? Hey, Christians aren't perfect. 
just forgiven. That's an abuse of justification. That's thinking that the only thing this is about is being justified, having your sins forgiven, but actually becoming like Jesus is not important. But here we are told that, no, by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all, that now we can have the law written on our hearts. And then there's this this warning here. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So this is the same chapter, guys. If Hebrews 10 was all about telling you the only thing you got to do is believe in Jesus, you're forgiven of sins, and then you can do whatever you want, he would not tell you to do good works, right? He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? Oh my gosh, brothers and sisters, there's so much here. And we're not going to be able to unpack this, but this is a warning. Don't think that once you believe in Jesus, you can go on sinning. Oh my goodness, look at what the author of Hebrews says. Oh no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't deliberately sin after you believe in Jesus. You've missed the point. In other words, there's a lot of, uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, language in the Bible about judgment. Right, And I just want to sum up. This is my personal belief, having studied a lot of these scriptures of judgment. What judgment is about is the idea that you cannot make a fool of God. You cannot make a fool of God. If you believe in Jesus, and he is the Lord of your life, and your life is about following him, right? you are his child. You don't need to fear making a mistake or sinning. right? Like, like we all do. We all make mistakes. God knows that. He does not expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to desire to be like Jesus, to actually change in your life, right? And now there's some of us that are like, okay, I want that too. So I'm going to believe in Jesus. You forgave my sins, but really, we have no expectation of changing. We think we can fool Jesus. We're like, I'm just going to do whatever I wanted to, right? But I get heaven in the end. I get to go to heaven after I die. But really, my whole life... I do whatever I want. If I want to disobey the law, well, Jesus will forgive me, right? That's where judgment comes in. You cannot fool God. There will be one day where he's like, what, did you really believe in my son? Did you really want to be like Jesus? Because I look at your life and I see no evidence of that, right? That's what this passage is about. That's what's saying, do not trample underfoot the son of God. Right? Do not profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. Do not outrage the spirit of grace. Right? And so, brothers and sisters, this whole just forgiven, <laughs> not, uh, not perfect, uh, doesn't hold. There is a greater standard for us. And so, uh, I want to take a look at, um, so as we go on here, um, this idea of what this is all about. So remember, he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
What is the law that God wants to write on your law uh, on your hearts? What is the law? There's like over 600 laws in the Old Testament. Are those the laws that God wants to write on your heart? The, the ones about not mixing fibers and things like that. There was a reason for that, brothers and sisters. There's a reason why you weren't supposed to eat pork and you weren't supposed to eat shellfish and these kinds of things. A lot of it was to protect his people. A lot of the laws were there. A lot of the foods that you weren't supposed to eat actually would be the ones that would spoil the easiest, that carried the most diseases. God wasn't trying to be a big meanie. He was trying to protect his people, right? And for them, they needed to understand, hey, you know what? Sometimes you just need to obey. You just need to do what you're told. Can I explain to you bacteria? (laughs) Can I explain to you foodborne illnesses? No, just obey, right? Know that I'm good. Know that I will not steer you wrong. And know what it means to follow, right? That's what the law was about. But it is incomplete because it does not actually change you. What is the law that is supposed to be written on our hearts then? If it's not the 600 laws, what is it? I'll give you a hint. We just said it not that long ago. It's two, right? It's love. Love God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as if they were you. That's the law. That's the law that he wants written on our hearts. You don't need to look it up like, oh, did I follow the law? It's written on your hearts. It's going to be done Uh, uh, in your life. It is going to come to pass. It becomes a part of you. That is what God desires, right? And so contrast that with uh, the idea of the Pharisees, right? And, And so Jesus was very, very hard on the Pharisees. He said, you clean the outside of the cup and plate. But inside, you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs. Looks really good and beautiful on the outside, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Inside, you are decaying. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So brothers and sisters, I ask you, what then is the righteousness that exceeds the the scribes and the Pharisees? Because remember, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were following the law, like really well. Maybe not perfectly, but they did a lot of it. But this is the problem with the law. This is the problem with legalism is that you can obey these things, check off a list of behaviors and not be changed from the inside. That's what Jesus is saying. You look good on the outside. Outwardly, it looks like you're obeying, but inside, your heart does not reflect that, right? So for instance, you could have a law, don't kill people, right? And so there's a Pharisee's like, I don't kill you, but I sure will judge you, (laughs) right? I'm not going to kill you, but I'm judging you all over the place. I'm condemning you. I hate you, right? There's all kinds of ways that you can follow the letter of the law, but not the spirit of it. How many of us in the church were like, "Mm, look at those people at church. Oh, look at all those sinners. Man, their lives are just awash with, with all kinds of sexual sin. They're breaking all these commandments. And really, we have no spirit of Christ within us when we're talking about that. It's not love. We are not loving people as if they were us. We are just using the law to make us feel better about ourselves, right? Like, look at me. I'm so righteous. And look at them. They're so bad. And Jesus says, no, you are a whitewashed tomb. The spirit of the law is not within you. 
right? We're going to go over this. this. This is important because in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about things like not just killing people, but not condemning them, not uh, 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 looking down on them, not having contempt for them, right? We're going to talk about things like not just committing adultery, but not treating other people like they're objects for our sexual gratification, right? It is about the heart issue. It is about what is on the inside. So in closing, um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, well, all right, well, let's, let's talk about chocolate. Chocolate's more fun. <laughs> Fulfilled. Remember, we're talking about filling, the fulfillment of the law, right? And so this is the chocolate test, you know, that I want to apply to the law and, and who we are, right? Do you guys ever have those uh, uh, chocolate bunnies at Easter? And the chocolate bunnies are great until you bite into them, right? And many chocolate bunnies, they look so good on the outside, but they're actually hollow on the inside, right? Um, you know, the, 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 the chocolate bunnies, um, they look good on the inside until something happens. You know, like maybe you were to, to drop a chocolate bunny on the ground. If it was filled with chocolate, that chocolate bunny would just be like, no big deal, right? I'm fully chocolate, right? Nothing would happen to that chocolate bunny. But if it's hollow, psh, breaks apart, right? That's what happens to a lot of us who look good on the outside. But some of the pressures of life come. Some of the things happen in life, and then we fall to pieces, just like that hollow chocolate bunny. I had a picture of fool's gold earlier. And fool's gold, it looks a lot like gold, but one of the ways that you can tell fool's gold from real gold is you take a little drop of acid, and you put it on the fool's gold. If you put it on real gold, nothing will happen. It's gold, right? It's solid. It will not deteriorate. But the fool's gold will completely crumble under that little bit of acid that little bit of pressure. That's one of the questions you can ask yourselves. Many of us, we come to church and we look so good and we're like, yeah, yeah, I'm like Jesus. I'm like Jesus. But what if somebody really pisses you off? A little bit of acid gets added to your life. What if a stress comes, right? You've got all these tests coming up. Or you have a very difficult coworker, right? There's something that comes along. You know, I don't know. Maybe something financially happens. You lose all your money in the stock market. The acid comes, and then we find out what you're full of. (laughs) Maybe it's nothing. Maybe you fall apart, right? There's another kind of chocolate test. You guys get those, like, chocolates at Valentine's Day? I love these ones. But the problem is, is that sometimes you don't really like what's inside, right? You look on the outside, it's like, oh, nice chocolate. Oh, that smooth, you know, dark chocolate. looks so good, and you bite into it, and then it's full of this weird cream. You know, there's, like, lemon curd. You're like, ugh, nasty. I hate this, right? You don't know until you bite into it. What is on the inside? And this is where Jesus talks about. What are you going to find in your life when you metaphorically get bit into it, right? What is really on the inside of your heart? What is really the inside of your emotions? Are you really like Jesus? And the question I have for us to leave us with, I want us to pray on and reflect on, is what do you really want? Do you want to be like Jesus? Or did you just want to be forgiven and do whatever you want to? Right? That might work for you until the acid gets dropped on your life. (laughs) Until you find yourself falling apart and you find that your faith really doesn't have much substance. God wants to make you, make you from within of sterner stuff 
than what is already in there. And he can, if you are willing. If you're willing to give yourself to God. That's what this is about. Are you willing to let God do the work within you? Make no mistake, brothers and sisters, you cannot do it on your own. Because if you could have, you would have. There would have been no need for Jesus. There would be no need for the Holy Spirit because I have the Steve spirit, right? I have the Stevie spirit, not the Holy Spirit. If the Stevie spirit could make me holy, then it would. But it doesn't. It doesn't. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that what you want? Praise team, can you come on up? So as the praise team starts to strap on their instruments, starts to strum some pleasant-sounding melodies, brothers and sisters, I do want us to really take a moment to soak in this idea that you do not have to prove anything to God anymore. Because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you are forgiven. It's true. You're a child of God. God loves you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And good news, now you get to be like Jesus. This is the fun part. This is the good part. This is where your life actually changes. Your nervous system changes. Your intentions change. Your motives change. Your your ability to be patient with other people changes. Your ability to forgive and love and to be the light of the world, that all changes. My question for you is, do you want that? It's a two-part thing. Yes, he's getting rid of all the inferior sacrifices. One sacrifice for all. But the second part, and the reason why we have the first part, is so you can now do the will of God. Is that what you want? If it is... Holy Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit will teach you. It's a gradual process, brothers and sisters. It doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen. It's like that little kingdom seed that will become the huge mustard plants. It is like that little bit of yeast that will start to work itself into all of you. But do you want that? Do you want the kingdom? Do you want him to reign? Do you want to actually love God and love your neighbor? Do you want to be like Jesus. And brothers and sisters, pray for that. Tell him, God, I lay down, I surrender my will. God, I want you to come in. I want to live for you. I believe what your son has done for me. But that wasn't just so I could have freedom to sin. That was so I could have freedom to love. That was so I can be like you. Jesus, may you hear our cries and our prayers. And as we sing this final song, may this be our prayer, to be like Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we ask. That's what we desire. That is the fulfillment of that law. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.